0: Yeah. It is Thursday, February sixth, here in Draft Shark Studios in Rochester, New York. Welcome to the Fantasy Football Podcast. I'm your host, Mattyoff. With me, as always, is Jared Smola. And normally, this time of year, we'd be jumping primarily into college prospects, the upcoming NFL Draft the Dynasty Ramifications. We'll certainly be digging into that stuff. We will be running our annual series of Dynasty Prospect Profiles. But Jared, this offseason is giving us another gift. It's the reboot of Vince McMahon's XFL. And if you live outside of New York, you just might be able to play DFS for the XFL this weekend.
1: And it's the return of Christian Michael.
0: That's, That's what I'm excited about. That's right. I knew you'd be excited about that. We will get to his team, of course. And we, of course, live in New York, so we will not be allowed to play XFL DFS this weekend on either DraftKings or FanDuel. But we have a whole series of free team previews on DraftSharks.com. They're all posted. You can get to know each of the eight teams in the league. We're going to run through each of the opening game weekends on this show as well to try to help you win some money if you live outside of New York. First, Jared, though, let's hit on a few of the rule differences that just might change fantasy scoring first of all there's no kicking extra points instead they have different levels of point after plays where you can get one two or three points after a touchdown I I think that's bound to add some scoring to the XFL
1: yeah definitely it adds another layer of strategy and I think could could make you know the the scores of these games more interesting you're not going to get you know 27 21s you're going to get some funky scores I honestly didn't even look at at FanDuel scoring system I did look at DraftKings and they are giving you you know, the, the one point for players that score a one point conversion, two for the two and three for the three. So that's definitely something to at least factor in when you're building your DFS lineups.
0: Yeah, it makes sense. And you're looking at FanDuel setup, I'm not sure they looked a whole lot into it either <laughs> as they were doing it. But we'll get to more of that later. Um, the clock rules appear to be geared towards speeding up play. We'll see what that means. I did read from somebody on Twitter this morning that... The scrimmages for the XFL averaged a lot more plays per scrimmage than the NFL averages per games. You know, we'll see if that carries over. We'll see about the impact there on scoring, but a chance for more points overall. There's also a second forward pass allowed if the first is completed behind the line. This is one of those that that gets talked about a lot. I think it's ultimately going to be more kind of like a a gimmick than really a significant factor. I can't see this popping up very much.
1: Yeah, I, I doubt we see it a whole lot. There are a couple players that that we'll talk about who I think could be used on these type of plays, you know, you know, for, former quarterbacks who who can also run the ball that I, that I think, you know, might become more valuable if their teams are using them on this type of play on a regular basis. Going back to those the timing rules and stuff you were talking about, it, it's a 25 second play clock versus, you know, the NFL's 40. So that's going to speed things up, but it's also interesting that the clock isn't going to stop for incompletions or out-of-bounds plays outside of, of two minutes left in the game. So it is at least partially going to offset the quicker play clock. The fact that, you know, even on an, in, an incomplete pass, the clock's going to continue to run.
0: Yeah, also the two-minute mark of the second quarter as well. But yeah, I'll be curious to see ultimately how the the clock rules affect scoring. I, I think they're trying to enhance the, the the pace of play. But, you know, like you said, we'll see how those two different factors balance out in the end. The kickoff and punt rules are geared toward encouraging returns, both how they are going to handle touchbacks and when the kicking team can actually start moving. So I don't know that it will get to the point where they're scoring so often that we have to factor these into, you know, projections or at least expectations. But I do think there's, there's a better chance that we get some return touchdowns factoring into the end of contest fantasy scores. Yep, and all touchbacks come
1: out to the 35-yard line versus you know the, the, the 20 or 25 in the NFL. So, I mean, all these rules, the XFL is just, just trying to make these games higher scoring and more entertaining.
0: And you only need to get one foot down to complete a catch, so that should give us more receptions. I don't know if it'll make a huge difference, but it should help. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it,
1: it's going to make a bit of a difference. I mean, think of how many um, times in an NFL game a guy only gets one foot inbounds. You know, I, I think it's definitely going to make a difference.
0: Mm-hmm. Anything else that you noticed? The overtime
1: rules are interesting. I mean, we'll see how often, you know, we need them, especially with the one and two and three point conversions. I think that's going to make ties even less likely, but each team's going to get five quote unquote drives of a single play to score from the five yard line. If you have guys in a, in an overtime game, I think for DFS, if there's an overtime game, you're going to need, you're going to need guys from that game to have any chance of winning for that week, just because there's going to be so many touchdowns scored.
0: Yeah, that's a lot of extra scoring opportunities if a game gets into overtime. And obviously that's not the kind of thing that we can project. You yeah. can't say this game is likely to be tied at the end of regulation. So yeah, that's one of those things that's going to make you feel great if you have a player in an <laughs> overtime game. It's going to make you feel really crappy if you had a team that was doing well and all of a sudden the game goes into overtime and obliterates what you had going on. But that's the fantasy life. That's what we've all gotten used to at this point. Yep. It's important to note that we also are having a, Tougher time getting information. We obviously are used to finding out a lot about NFL teams. There's a whole lot less information available about the XFL at this point. Uh, Included in that, only three teams, as far as I've seen uh, to this point, have released official depth charts for week one. We've got Tampa Bay, we've got LA, we've got Dallas. So, you know, we can, we know a little bit more about those squads. There are other depth charts floating around, but I think beyond that, it's pretty much just projections by certain writers and websites.
1: Yeah. Those are the only three I've seen. Um, you know, we do have the 52 man rosters for all eight teams. We have some injury reports trickling in, but I I haven't found like a single page that shows all, all teams, injuries and practice participation and that kind of stuff. It's definitely more challenging to get information, but I, I, I think that, you know, gives us a bigger edge if we are we are willing to put in the time to, you know, find that information.
0: That's why we're here, even if our home state is not allowing us to put it actually into work in, in DFS. But, you know, as I said, we'll go on for those of you who can play and we'll get now to game one, which is the Seattle Dragons against the DC Defenders, 2 p.m. Saturday, 2 p.m. Eastern time, of course, because that's what everybody runs on. On the injury side, For the Dragons, wide receiver Cason Williams has a quad issue. He was not practicing Wednesday. We'll see about his availability for the game on Saturday. I think that's significant because Cason Williams might be the lead receiver for this team. And it looks like he and Keenan Reynolds are the expected starters. Keenan Reynolds, to me, is, is a tough guy to bet on in fantasy early on here he he's expensive on DraftKings, less so on FanDuel, but terrific history of production as an option quarterback at Navy. But he has one total reception between his college and NFL careers, so I have no idea what he's going to look like as a wideout.
1: Neither do I. Um, I mean, I think he's an exciting guy just because of you know what he showed as as a runner in college at quarterback. Seattle did take him with the fifth uh, with their fifth pick in the skill position draft, so they're obviously pretty high in him, but. He's a guy, if he was $4,000 on DraftKings, I'd be interested in, but you know, he, he's the most expensive Seattle wide receiver on DK at $8,100, so he, he's not a guy I'd be considering in week one.
0: Yeah, and especially when you combine that with what else they have on offense, it's an offense that I would rather just watch and see what happens yep. in, instead of investing heavily in what should be their top wide receiver. I mean, we'll go ahead and mention Brandon Silvers is their starting quarterback, had a decent career in Troy. He opened as a third-string quarterback in the AAF last spring. So this is not a strong quarterback. It's an okay offense under OC Mike Riley, who was mostly a long-term college coach, uh, a short-lived run with the Chargers in the NFL that didn't really go anywhere. He had kind of crappy players to deal with, but not an offense that I'm going to overly invest in for week one You know, in the hypothetical world where I can actually play. Also on the injury front, Dragons tight end Cam Clear didn't practice Wednesday, he had an injury that was unspecified when i looked at the injury report i think at tight end the interesting guy for seattle is connor hamlet who stands 6 foot 7 he caught 104 passes in college played 3 seasons at oregon state under mike riley and he's affordable he's 4300 on draftkings on FanDuel and their goofball pricing.
1: Yeah, we should note on DraftKings, and I'm not sure if it's the same on FanDuel, but on DraftKings, they've combined the wide receiver and tight end positions into one, so you don't need to start a tight end. Now, most of the tight ends are priced down pretty cheaply, so I do think some of them are in play, but you you don't have to start one. I'm with you in that Seattle's not a team I'd be investing in much, if at all, in Week 1. I'm avoiding the passing game. The one guy I'd consider would be running back Trey Williams, who's just $4,100 on DraftKings. He was Seattle's first round pick in the skill position draft seventh overall Christian Michael the only running back drafted ahead of Trey Williams um, he's undersized 5'7 195 pounds but he has, has four, four speed um, 62nd percentile spark guy was involved as a runner and a pass catcher at Texas Tech had 38 catches over his career there and performed pretty well in limited action in the AFF this past spring so um, they also have kind of Farrow in Seattle but you know Farrow's priced about three thousand dollars more than Trey Williams and you know was drafted behind him so if I'm gonna dabble in the backfield I do think Williams at his price is worth considering
0: yeah and you mentioned Williams' size but of course we're not talking about the NFL here where everybody is bigger and Mike Riley is the OC at Oregon State he had Jaquiz Rogers who we know is a tiny guy he was a workhorse level back there Ivinson Bernard not as small as Jaquiz Rogers I think he's about 5'9 200 pounds but still on the smaller side also a workhorse back, two of the most productive and most heavily leaned on backs under Mike Riley. And as you mentioned, they drafted Trey Williams first. Kenneth Farrow is the more expensive guy and seems like generally the the running back that people prefer, but I don't see a reason to prefer Kenneth Farrow over him. And, And it's also worth noting that Trey Williams actually, I believe, outperformed Kenneth Farrow in the AAF last spring.
1: Yeah. Well, so, so it's funny. So Mike Riley was the head coach of the San Antonio commanders of the AAF last spring. He had Trey Williams and Kenneth Farrow on that team. Farrow was the lead back in terms of volume, but Trey, Trey Williams was much more efficient. And then again, like we said, Seattle took Williams in the first round, Farrow in the second. So, you know, maybe Farrow leads the way in touches, but especially at the $3,000 discount, I, I definitely play Williams if I'm going to play either guy.
0: Yeah, I wouldn't be I wouldn't be surprised if Farrow ends up with more carries mm-hmm. than Williams. But to me, the fact that they drafted Williams first says Mike Riley was like, listen, Trey is the more irreplaceable facet you know, factor for offense. We can find other guys that can play like Kenneth Farrow does. Trey Williams is gonna be the, the difference maker. The other factor that makes me want to not really go in too hard on either back, though, this week is that Jaquan Gardner is also on the roster. He was not a, a skill position draft pick, and they, they split up their draft so that there was a skill position draft, like a defensive front draft, defensive back draft, an open phase. So, you know, it wasn't just one draft for everybody. And Gardner didn't go until the open phase, but he had shoulder surgery at the end of the AAF season last spring. So that might have been a factor for that October draft. Did make the final roster here. He dominated in Division II in college, averaged 188.8 yards per game as a sophomore, carried 877 times for his career, 81 catches, briefly led the AAF in rushing last spring before he tailed off over the second half of the season and then had that shoulder surgery. So I think that all of those guys are in this backfield in an Mm -hmm. offense that I don't know about makes me lean away from all of them in week one until we see what happens.
1: Yeah, definitely a messy backfield. Um, you have you know Seattle on the road here as seven point underdogs. Also, I, I looked at a bunch of sports books and like the odds to win the you know XFL championship this year, and Seattle was dead last on DraftKings, on Bovada, on MGM. So you know, I, th- I think the sports books are in agreement that Seattle looks like the worst team, at least on paper.
0: That's really just setting them up for an underdog win and a hip hip hooray from Jim Zorn at the end. <laughs> totally. On the D.C. Defenders side, wide receiver DeAndre Tompkins is dealing with a foot injury. He didn't practice on Wednesday, so decent chance that he's out for the game. That clears the way for probably what was going to happen anyway, and that's Rashad Ross and Eli Rogers leading this wide receiver core. Ross, of course, one of the best-known names here because of what he did last spring in the AAF that got him signed into the NFL He's top shelf price, though, on DraftKings, surprisingly far down the fan duel list at 15 bucks, whereas their pricing starts at $20 at the position. I was quite surprised that he was down there because he's, again, one of the more popular fantasy options in this new league, whether you're talking about season-long drafts or DFS. I think that's just going to boost his ownership even further on FanDuel, though. I think when you combine the price on DraftKings and the likely ownership on FanDuel with the situation, I don't think I'm going to play much Rashad Ross this weekend unless I'm playing a bunch of lineups.
1: Yeah, I don't think he'd be in my plans either. I I mean, I'll I'll say that there are a ton of guys who look like big values at the cheaper price level. So it's almost like you have to spend your money somewhere. So I, I wouldn't argue too hard against Rashad Ross. He does seem like a pretty safe bet to be a big part of this passing game, especially if Tompkins is out. DeAndre Tompkins was going to be one of my favorite value wide receivers before I found out about that foot injury. Um, The guy has four three speed, averaged 15 yards per catch at Penn State. And according to DC's official website, he was the team's best wide receiver in training camp. So again, we'll keep an eye on that injury. Um, If he does miss this game, um, I think he's someone to keep in mind once he gets healthy.
0: Yeah. I mean, I, it, like you said, there are you can find places to save money to fit in more expensive guys, so it's not a huge factor. I would also not worry as much about kind of maxing out the salary cap yeah. this week as I normally would on DFS sites because we're all guessing at who's actually going to be good here. I mean, you could easily wind up with a well-under-cap roster winning a tournament this weekend. I, I do think the Rashad Ross and Cardale Jones stack – is going to be um, very popular. Mm -hmm. I also think that it's possible this offense might wind up overrated. So they've got offensive coordinator Tanner Engstrand, who was mostly an OC at University of San Diego, was very successful there was also very run heavy. The San Diego Union Tribune said he was known for stretching defenses horizontally and vertically with his offense. So likes the deep ball, he loved that with Cardell Jones at quarterback, and obviously that would work well with Rashad Ross's downfield speed, but also lots of running and head coach Pep Hamilton in his four college offenses he spent two years as the OC at Stanford and the last two as I forget what they call it, a consultant or an assistant at Michigan, but those four offenses all ran the ball a lot more than they threw it. So I think we could get a lot of running here and a few deep shots As the as the crux of the passing offense, and I'm I'm really liking the running backs more than the wide receivers at the outset for this offense. Yeah,
1: to me, this roster in general looks like one of the stronger ones in the league, so it it is an offense that I'm looking to invest in. I agree, it could be more run leaning. You know, they spent through their first seven skill position draft picks on running backs. We can talk about them in a bit here, but I am definitely excited about Cardell Jones. You know, maybe. Beyond Christian Michael, the guy I'm most excited to watch play in this league, and you know, just just a, a big guy, big arm, has some um, mobility. You know, should should give us some rushing production in this league. And this past preseason, Cardell Jones was really good for the Chargers. 68 percent completion rate, 8.7 yards per attempt. He was second in Pro Football Focus's preseason passing grades among 39 qualifying
0: quarterbacks. So I think I think you know he he can emerge as as the best quarterback in this league. Yeah, I certainly think that's possible. And I'm looking forward to watching him. I mean, way back when he was winning that national title for Ohio State, he looked mm-hmm. like Dante Culpepper. I think he quickly proved in the ensuing season that he's not Dante Culpepper. And that's why he never really got a shot in the NFL so far. But certainly at this lower level of competition, I think there's upside to him. Eli Rodgers is the other wide receiver worth mentioning here. He's significantly cheaper than Ross actually you know I mentioned that Ross's price is down at 15 bucks Rodgers is even cheaper than Ross at 13 on FanDuel expensive still on DraftKings at 9100 but that's still 1300 less than Ross so Rodgers is worth considering again at that price I probably would not be looking his way this week yeah. and it's more so because I really like the backfield that DC has at the 9,100 bucks on DraftKings.
1: I, I just don't know Rogers Rodgers has the upside to pay that off. I mean, he, he's been a possession receiver through and through. We saw it in the NFL with the Steelers, um, just 10.5 yards per catch for Eli Rodgers there. Even at Louisville, um, he only averaged 11.5 yards per catch. He's you know, 5'10", 187 pounds, not a big time athlete. So you could see him rack up five, six, seven catches. But again, at the 9,100 bucks on DraftKings, I, I think he's overpriced there. Yeah, I
0: would like him better in, say, Hal Mummy's offense or uh, maybe Mark Trestman's offense than Mm -hmm. I do in this particular spot. I mentioned the backfield a couple times. They got Jarrell Presley. They have Donnell Pumphrey. And Presley hasn't done anything in the NFL to this point, but he led the AAF in rushing last spring. He averaged 6.9 yards per carry for his college career. Never got to a workhorse level there. He never reached 150 carries for a season. But talented runner, a speedy runner, he's second behind only Andre Williams among XFL running backs in speed score. And Andre Williams is is only better in that category because he's like (laughs) 290 pounds. So Jarrell Presley was also Pro Football Focus's second highest graded running back in the AAF last spring. So he performed there, produced... I think he's ready to do some stuff here. And he combines with Donnell Pumphrey to maybe put together the best backfield in the league. I mean, Pumphrey never got on the field for the Eagles, but he was a fourth-round pick for them after setting NCAA records for both total rushing yards and total yards from scrimmage.
1: Yeah, and the fact that both these guys are here worries me a bit. I mean, I I do agree, you know, these are... Two of the better backs in the league, it looks like it might be the best backfield as a one-two punch. Um, you know, Presley's 7900 bucks on DraftKings. A little expensive for me for a guy, you know, we don't know for sure is going to be the workhorse back. He is exciting, though, like you said. I um, mean, he's 5'10", 206, so he, I think he's big enough. 90th percentile spark, guys. So he, he's, he's a big-time athlete, so he's exciting. But at that price tag, and with Pumphrey
0: there, not knowing how the workload's going to be divvied, I'm probably going to look elsewhere. I think there's plenty of room for both of these guys to get enough touches to produce. I think we're going to see lots of touches for both of these running backs throughout the yeah. um, season, and, and starting this week. And I think that's where T- Tanner Engstrand's offense is more exciting because I, I think this group is more exciting overall than the wide receiver core. I think they're going to be the focal point.
1: Yep. Yeah. I Definitely like the offense. Um. I, I'd probably, if anything, I'd probably lean towards Pumphrey just because he is, um, you know, almost three thousand bucks
0: cheaper. No, you got to spend it somewhere, though. I mean, when you're looking at the flex spot, though, it, Presley is also significantly cheaper than, like, the top few wide receivers available.
1: Yeah, it's a good thing you bring that up because the the um, starting requirements on DraftKings are different for the XFL. You start your one quarterback, you only need to start one running back, two mm-hmm. wide receivers and two flex spots, and then, and then a defense. And, and on DraftKings, with the full PPR, especially for tournaments, I think trying to get four wide receivers in there is probably going to be the best play.
0: Yeah, it'll be interesting to see what the the best plays are that reveal themselves here. Because, you know, there's a lot changing. You you mentioned the, the different position designations, and it is the same over on FanDuel. They have wide receiver and tight end combined. They do have flex spots. So, I mean, we're all kind of guessing, and we're just trying to lessen the amount of guessing, I guess, with all this. Exactly. Game two is LA Wildcats at the Houston Roughnecks, 5 p.m. Eastern on Saturday. Injuries to watch on the Wildcats side. Quarterback Josh Johnson has a thigh issue, had him not practicing Wednesday. That's That's the most significant injury to watch this weekend for the XFL because a healthy Josh Johnson just might be the best quarterback in this league.
1: Yeah, I'd say I'd say probably the best fantasy quarterback because of his rushing ability, but you know, with that injury that might limit his rushing ability if he even plays, and the fact that he's the most expensive quarterback on DraftKings at ten thousand seven hundred, he he's a guy
0: I would not be playing this week. Yeah, and if Johnson is not playing, Chad Canoff looks like the backup. Of course, the Wildcats are one of just three teams that has given us a depth chart so far, and Canoff is next. Mm-hmm. Uh, he had a big senior year at Princeton: seventy-three point two percent completions, 9.0 yards per attempt, twenty-nine touchdowns with a seventy with a seven and a half percent touchdown rate, and only took seven sacks. Not a runner, though. I would probably lean elsewhere at quarterback.
1: Yeah, I mean he he's six thousand bucks, so you know if this was. NFL DFS,
0: and we were trying to pay mm. out for Christian McCaffrey
1: and, and Zeke Elliott, maybe maybe you throw Kanoff in there. But again, I just think there's so many other places to save uh, on this week one uh, XFL slate. I, I, I don't
0: think it makes sense to play Kanoff. Yeah, I agree. Trey McBride, the wide receiver, has a thigh issue. He was limited Wednesday, so he might not play, but... He was one of the surprising guys on the depth chart, not listed among the team's top three receivers. I expected him to be. He spent several years in the NFL with several teams. I thought he would be a shoe in to start for this team. Instead, Nelson Spruce looks like the top bet. Not a big play guy, but he caught 294 passes over four years at Colorado, made the NFL as an undrafted free agent, spent time with the Rams and the Chargers. Priced up on DraftKings, though, $8,500. bucks. 6th among pass catchers there. Cheap on FanDuel, however, $14. Yeah,
1: it probably makes sense on FanDuel then. Um, yeah, like you said, Spruce was productive at Colorado. He was actually top five in the AAF in both catches and receiving yards this past spring. But at 8500 bucks, when you have these other two starters, Jordan Smallwood and Adonis Jennings, they're at 3000 and $3,300. I'm, I'm not sure it makes sense to, you know, spend almost three times
0: as much on Nelson Spruce. Uh, I think I would go ahead and pay up for Spruce because the other two guys are quite unproven. I mean, Jennings ranked fourth on his own team in receptions in the AAF last spring. Was a bigger play guy at Temple, 17.6 yards per catch over his final two years. But, you know, we'll see beyond that. Smallwood had 18 career catches at Oklahoma at 9.4 yards per catch. I was kind of surprised to see that he spent brief stints with the 49ers, Lions, and Chargers.
1: Yeah, and you know, especially with Josh Johnson's injury and the fact that I I expect this to be a run-leaning offense, you know, based Mm -hmm. on Norm Chow's history, based on the fact that um, this team spent, what, three of its first seven picks on running backs, including taking a running back in the first round of the skill position draft. So I guess this is is another passing game in general that I'm not going to be investing too heavily in.
0: Yeah, and interestingly, this was the team that drafted Rashad Ross before trading him to D.C. It seemed Mm -hmm. like it was a, a personality clash. Yep. I agree with expecting the team to lean run. Norm Chow has been a run-leaning offensive coordinator and head coach. He spent 20 years as either a coordinator or head coach at the NCAA and NFL level. Only six of those 20 offenses totaled more pass attempts than rushing attempts. Only one of his 20 offenses have averaged at least 10 more passes per game than runs. And his median had his team's averaging 35 rushes per game compared with 33 pass attempts per game. Elijah Hood is that top skill position pick that you mentioned at running back. He's somebody that I would be excited about for a, in a season-long draft. I would consider him a clear first-round pick. And I, I think he's got big upside in this league.
1: Yeah, me too. Like you said, Chow's history, the fact that LA spent their first pick of the skill position draft on Elijah Hood. Um six foot, two hundred thirty-two pounder, twenty three hundred rushing yards over his final two seasons at North Carolina, uh, six point four yards per carry. Also caught thirty eight balls in those two seasons. So I think, you know, he does have the ability to do that. And then the um the LA's official website said that uh, quote, the Wildcats expect Hood to be their workhorse. So I think he's one of the safer volume bets on this week one slate.
0: Yeah, he is somebody that I would be paying up for this week if I were allowed to play. Behind him on the depth chart is Juan Harris, who people might remember from his days with the Packers. Also spent time with the Niners. Um, Like I mentioned, second on the depth chart and has some speed to him, but he's also 31, I believe. So I think the fact that he is second on the depth chart only helps my outlook for Elijah Hood. And behind them, Larry Rose is somebody worth keeping an eye on longer term. He's fast. He's younger than Juan Harris and was a workhorse level player at New Mexico state. We'll see though, if he rises up the depth chart or, you know, even garners significant touches with hood in there.
1: Did Rose catch passes at New Mexico state? I didn't look into that, but not, I mean, he's, he definitely looks like a change of pace back. He's 5'9, 192 pounds has that four, four speed. Like you mentioned, so, you know, maybe he's
0: the guy who plays in some passing situations in place of hood. Yeah, 133 career receptions in college. There you go. So he would be the guy that I'm taking late in a season-long XFL draft for anybody Mm -hmm. who's playing one of those. But I would not look to play him in a week one DFS lineup because, you know, I would assume that Elijah Hood's going to dominate the work. Yep, agreed. On the other side of this one is the Roughnecks of June Jones. No significant injuries. They did finally name P.J. Walker their starting quarterback. Solid but not spectacular career at Temple. Uh, Low rushing production, but he does have above average speed for the position, so there's the chance that he adds that to his game here. Should have solid receivers. And this team opened the skill position draft focusing on the passing game. They took Connor Cook second after having Walker assigned to them, then took Khalil Lewis, then took Sammy Coates. Both of those guys are wide outs, of course.
1: Right. I I like P.J. Walker as a play on DraftKings this week. He's just 7,800 bucks. Um, It's not so much because of him it's because of June Jones who we know is is a pass heavy play caller like you said they're loaded up on wide receivers there's not a single tight end on this roster I I think it's pretty clear it's going to be one of the most pass heavy offenses in this league PJ Walker called it a run and shoot offense he expects to be in the shotgun a lot so again just volume maybe there's some rushing upside to him and then price I think all makes Walker a pretty good
0: play on DK this week yeah I agree with that and the price helps the stacking with Sammy Coates who is priced up On both sites, but I think is worth it. He was the second highest drafted player by NFL teams behind only Christian Michael among guys that are in the XFL right now.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I was a I was a coach guy. I fell, I fell into him based on the athleticism when the Steelers took him. You know, 99th percentile spark guy obviously didn't translate in the NFL, but I think there's a better chance it does in the XFL. So I think I think Coates is worth considering despite that price tag. Uh, I think Khalil Lewis is worth considering, too. Houston actually took him in the second round ahead of Sammy Coates, who went in the third round. Um, Khalil Lewis, small not super athletic, so he's definitely not as exciting as Sammy Coates. But again, I do think he's going to get
0: playing time, and he's just 4100 bucks on DraftKings. Yeah, significantly cheaper. Uh, less than half the price of Coates. Dominated his final two teams at University of Cincinnati in both receptions and receiving yards. So not a special athlete, which Coates is, but like you said, they drafted him ahead of Coates. Mm-hmm. So obviously they like him and, and easier to fit in lineup. So I agree. Consider Khalil Lewis this week. You mentioned that they don't have any tight ends on their roster. Also, the first running back that they drafted did not make the roster. That was Kyle Hicks. Instead, their top two running backs look like Andre Williams and D'Angelo Henderson. Folks who are, you know, big into fantasy probably remember Andre Williams as the dude who ran for 2,000 yards at Boston College in his final season there Mm -hmm. and then got drafted by the Giants and did basically nothing big. He's got decent speed for a big guy. He offers absolutely nothing as a receiver and might actually, not not just a zero at receiver, he's probably actually a negative for your passing game.
1: Right. I mean, he had 10 total catches across his four college seasons. He had zero catches in his final year when he carried 355 times. And like you said, went over 2000 yards. That's, that's crazy. Um, he, he did have 18 catches when he was with the Giants back in 2014, his rookie year, but was not efficient there. He, he just, he seems like a poor fit in this offense. All that being said, like you said, he is the highest drafted running back on this team and he's just thirty eight hundred dollars on DraftKings, so I, I do think he's someone worth considering. Even though I am not an Andre Williams fan,
0: yeah. So June Jones's history shows him spreading the ball around, and I don't think Andre Williams is going to catch a bunch of passes. Even though like Craig Hayward caught some passes for June Jones back in Atlanta, but he has used big backs at times. Zach Line was his most consistently used rusher over his entire history as a coach. And Zach Lyon is somebody who was a running back at SMU when he was there, but was then a fullback in the NFL. So that Mm -hmm. speaks to the size of him. So I wouldn't be surprised if Andre Williams leads this team in carries. I would be shocked. Anything significant as a pass catcher, you mentioned the 18 catches as a rookie with the giants. I believe that was on like 37 targets. (laughs) So it's like a 50% catch rate for a running back, which is awful. D'Angelo Henderson, on the other hand, a much better receiving back, 97 career catches at Coastal Carolina, nine and a half yards per reception, also 6.4 yards per carry as a three-year workhorse there. I think he's the much bigger talent than Andre Williams. I think he's going to emerge as the top back in this backfield, however long it takes. He's actually more expensive than Williams on DraftKings for week one, 4,500 versus 3,800. But that's obviously not too much to fit. D'Angelo Henderson into a lineup. And he's significantly cheaper than Williams over on FanDuel, $13 versus 19 for Williams.
1: Yeah, Henderson's definitely the guy that I'm more excited by. It is interesting that DraftKings made him more expensive than Andre Williams. Maybe that makes sense if you know Henderson is going to be the pass catcher. He he might have more value than Williams, even if Williams is the lead ball carrier. But Henderson, you know, he's 5'7, so he's short, but he's 208 pounds, so he's not like small. He has 4'4 four, four speed. Like you said, he he showed pass catching ability at Coastal Carolina so he's someone I'm definitely interested in Um I hate to say it though but I think I'd have to lean towards Williams just because he's cheaper on DraftKings this week
0: mm, I think at that level I wouldn't have the salary making the decision for That's me fair. when I think Henderson's ceiling is a lot higher for as a receiver I, I, th- I think we both thought when Henderson was coming into the league he looked very similar to Tariq Cohen
1: yeah yep definitely
0: All right, let's move on to game three then, which is the Tampa Bay Vipers at the New York Guardians, 2 p.m. Eastern on Sunday. And I mean, is there a more fun team to think about than the Vipers?
1: No, I mean, it's it's definitely the team I want to bet on. It's the coach and Mark Trestman I want to bet on. Um, and, And I think they do have some interesting guys and especially some interesting prices on DraftKings this week.
0: Yeah, no significant injuries on their side, so we don't have to worry about that. Mark Tressman, that that factor is, I think, the first thing you need to look at when looking at Tampa Bay. And I mean, you can read our full preview on the Vipers on DraftSharks.com for all the details about his background. But basically, all you need to know is that Mark Tressman offenses have been very successful. He took over six different NFL offenses, either as a coordinator or head coach, Four of those improved in both yardage and points the year he took them over. Another was the 49ers, who couldn't improve because the year before he arrived, they were first in points and second in yards. They just did that again in the Mark Trestman uh, debut season. Only the 2015 Ravens failed to improve over what they did before Tressman arrived. And that team lost Joe Flacco, Steve Smith, and Justin Forsett for six-plus games apiece.
1: Yeah, and Trestman's also had success in the CFL. Um, he has what? He has three CFL titles in seven years there. He won coach of the year twice in the CFL. And I think the other important note with Tressman is he he loves to throw the ball. 12 seasons as an NFL head coach or offensive coordinator. All 12 of his teams finished top half of the league in pass attempts. Eight of the 12 ranked top 12 in passing yards. Two of his teams finished number one in passing yards. So this is definitely a passing game I think we want to invest in.
0: Yes, and even in the pass-happy CFL, his team's six of his seven offenses ranked first or second in the league in pass attempts. So even when everybody else is pass-happy, he's pass-happier. Even when the NFL wasn't pass-happy, he was pass-happy. He's somebody to invest in on the passing side. That is why I like Aaron Murray, maybe the best, Mm -hmm. among quarterbacks this week in DFS I'll take him definitely over Cardell Jones in DFS this week. Murray's sixth in QB pricing on both sites, which you know gives him a, makes him a solid value. He barely saw the field in the NFL, but he was drafted. He served as a backup for several years, and that followed a terrific career at Georgia. 121 touchdown passes, 16 more rushing, even though he's not much of a runner. 41 interceptions, 8.9 yards per pass attempt for his career there.
1: Yeah, four year starter at Georgia, you know. So in the SEC he's he he has experience, which is nice. To me, Murray's not an exciting player. Like I, I think I think he can he's not gonna elevate the offense, but I don't think he needs to with Tressman here and in, in this in this system. So yeah, I, I agree. Murray, um the player doesn't excite me, but in this situation I definitely think he's in play.
0: I think he's Kirk Cousins with Jay Gruden. I like it. Um, And not only that, he's got big pass catchers. Nick Truesdell, I think, is the most exciting one. Uh, And he might be headed for XFL stardom here very soon. He's a very interesting case. Barely played in college. He got a scholarship to the University of Cincinnati, but he got caught stealing at the bookstore and lost his scholarship quickly. He transferred to Grand Rapids Community College, tore an ACL, and then just decided he was done playing college football, basically, after that. Got an agent. Got some pro trials. He actually got chances with six different NFL teams. Never made a regular season appearance there. One full season in the Arena League, 80 catches, 977 yards, 23 touchdowns. He was in the AAF last spring. He finished that as the second highest graded pass catcher, the second highest graded tight end by Pro Football Focus. And the only guy ahead of him was somebody who only saw three targets. So Nick Truesdale was at the top of that group. He was the fifth overall pick in the skill position draft here, so a first rounder for Mark Trestman's offense. And as recently as twenty seventeen, Truesdell was timed at 447 in the 40 at six foot six, two hundred and fifty two pounds.
1: Yeah, super interesting guy. I mean, I, I I'll be honest, I had not heard of him until I started you know digging into the XFL, but big, fast. Tressman obviously loves him, making him you know his first round pick, fifth overall, like you said. And there are some interesting wide receivers here, but there's no like one standout clearly dog. So Truesdale definitely might emerge as the top option in this passing game. DraftKings isn't isn't sleeping on him, though. He's 6,900 bucks there. So, you know, if you compare him to the other top wide receivers, there is a discount there, but it's also still expensive when you compare him to the other tight ends.
0: Yeah, but so if, if we had a tight end slot here, then mm-hmm. I think Truesdale would be the clear most owned player at that spot because yeah. he has generated some buzz. Uh, I think because it's combined, there's the chance that he loses some shine, especially with people trying to fit in Sammy Coates and Rashad Ross. 10th in wide receiver slash tight end pricing on DK. Tied for 17th on FanDuel. So not hard to fit in. For me, Aaron Murray, Nick Trusdell is the primary stack I would be using in my builds this weekend.
1: That makes sense. I'm also interested in these wide receivers, though. Um, So Tampa has Reese Horn, Jalen Tolliver, and Dan Williams listed as their top three wide receivers on, on their depth chart. Reese Horn is 3400 bucks on DraftKings. Jalen Toliver is 3200 Dan Williams is 3000 So they're all super cheap. Um, I think Reese Horn's the guy I'd lean towards. He was good in the AAF. Um, he finished fourth in the league in receiving yards, averaged 15.3 yards per catch, 6'3", 217 pounds, 49th percentile spark guy, so decent size, decent decent athleticism. At, at that price tag, he's someone I'm definitely interested in.
0: Yeah, and all three of their top receivers are under 3500 in DK salary this week. Tolliver and Williams are up in FanDuel, um, but you, know, you can still afford them. I, I think it's viable because of the four-game slate or two-game if you're only playing one day or the other mm-hmm. to put Murray, Truesdell, and one of those wide receivers in your lineup. Uh, you mentioned Horn. He also graded out third among all AAF wideouts according to Pro Football Focus last spring. Tolliver dominated market share in college. Reese Horn did as well. They both dominated market share for their teams in college. Tolliver topped this group of three with 16.5 yards per catch for his college career. All three of these guys are six foot three. I would get some Tolliver. I would get some Reese Horn yeah. a- into my lineups and see where this goes. You know, most of all, because it's investing in Mark Tressman getting them the ball.
1: Exactly. That, that's what that's what it's about. Investing in this passing game and at these price tags where you can you know pretty much do whatever you want with the rest of your lineup. Tolliver, eighty uh, second percentile spark guy. So he he has the edge over Horn there if that's what you're looking
0: for. And I'll you know I'll mention the backfield real quick. I, I think mm-hmm. the the limited aspect of this backfield makes the passing game even more exciting. But it's worth noting Devion Smith is the starter. Only Jarrell Presley got a higher PFF grade among guys who, among running backs who played in the AAF last spring and are now in the XFL. So Smith played well there. He is the lead back here. We've seen for years uh, running backs of varied skill levels getting a lot of targets in Mark Trestman's offense.
1: Yeah, former Michigan running back, Davion Smith, um, 4.5 yards per carry in four seasons at Michigan. He's 223 pounds, but he ran a four-eight. 40 time 10th percentile spark score so not an exciting guy but again i think tampa is one of the offenses i you know want to be invested in so from that standpoint i think deviant smith is someone worth considering and 6300 bucks on DraftKings if he is is going to be the clear lead ball carrier is a pretty good price
0: Mm -hmm. on the other side the guardians to me look like an offense to maybe avoid at least Mm -hmm. for week one while we see what's going on here kevin gilbride's the coach uh, a name we all know, but doesn't have a special history of production and no clear preference for run or pass. You can look through the teams and there were plenty that leaned pass. There were plenty that leaned run. I think he kind of goes where the talent is. And that's my big issue with his team is I don't like any particular area here. There's no area that I want to bet on. I'd much rather just watch him week one and see what happens.
1: Yeah, but I'm with you there. Um, they have Matt McGloin starting at quarterback he was, you know, fine at Penn State, got six starts as a rookie for the Raiders, didn't do anything special there. He's 9700 bucks though on DraftKings, so I don't see any reason to pay for Matt McGloin when you can get Aaron Murray, you know, for 700 bucks cheaper.
0: Yeah, and similar for me with Mikhail McKay, who looks like their top wide receiver, um, he's intriguing. He's 6'5", runs 45540, which is pretty good for a tall guy, 18.8 yards per catch career in college, but He's the fourth most expensive player at any position at 9900 bucks on DraftKings this week, second behind only Rashad Ross at wide receiver. So, uh, I'll take a pass in week 1 and see where this where things go. I think maybe the most interesting player because he's cheap is Tayo Redding, who looks like their other starting wideout and is just $3200 on DraftKings.
1: Yeah, and that price is about the only thing I can say for Teo Redding. I don't think he's he, he's you know an exciting player, but um, if he's going to get an opportunity, he's at least worth considering at that price. McKay is a guy I like, and it does it does look like he's the clear number one here. But you know, at ninety nine hundred bucks for an offense that I'm not super excited about, he he just feels overpriced on DraftKings.
0: Yeah, I agree. It's also worth noting that two of their top three picks in the skill position draft, uh, D'Angelo Nancy and Tanner Gentry, both wide receivers, both on IR. So we'll see if either of them can return during the season, but. You know, that's part of what makes this hard to like heading into the year in the backfield. They're led by unexciting to me at least, Tim Cook, who had thirty career carries and two career catches at Oregon State.
1: Yeah, he he was decent in the AAF this past spring, he averaged four point nine yards per carry on fifty six attempts. Um he's a seventy fourth percentile spark guy, so you know He's interesting, someone I, I wouldn't play in week one, though. Justin Stockton is another running back on this roster that I'm going to be monitoring. He's only 4200 bucks this week on DraftKings, so if I'm going to play the running back from this team, it would be Justin Stockton. I think he could be the change of pace back here. He's a bit undersized, 5'9", 201 pounds, but he's 69th percentile spark guy, um, averaged 5.8 yards per carry across four seasons at Texas Tech, and caught 82 passes at Texas Tech. So again, I think he could be the pass catching back here.
0: Yeah, I I would probably avoid the whole backfield for week one of DFS, but Justin Stockton is the guy that I would take in a middle to later round of a season-long XFL draft for those reasons and because he was on the same team with Tim Cook in the AAF last spring, didn't get the ball as much as Cook, but actually averaged 5.4 yards per carry for that same team compared with 4.9 for Cook, as you mentioned, more receptions in college. He caught those 82 balls in college. No other running back on this Guardians roster caught more than 34 passes in college. So I this is just overall, this is a situation I would rather see play out before I want to trust any of them in my lineup. Yes, definitely me too. Final game of the weekend, the St. Louis Battlehawks at the Dallas Renegades, 5 p.m. Eastern Sunday. St. Louis should be the Christian Michael show. We've got head coach Jonathan Hayes, who was a blocking tight end for 12 years. Then he spent 16 years as the Bengals tight ends coach. So we've got this lifelong tight end running things. Offensive coordinator Chuck Long last coached in 2011, but he spent nine seasons to that point as either a coordinator or a head coach. His offenses love to run the ball. 29.9 pass attempts per game as a median, 39.2 rushes per game as a median across those nine years running offenses. So Christian Michael was their first skill position pick. Their next running back was Matt Jones in round seven. He flamed out of the NFL even quicker than Michael did. I think Christian Michael is maybe the best bet in this league for touches.
1: Yeah, I'd agree with that, especially week one before we you know see any of these teams. Michael is the most expensive running back on DraftKings, eighty four hundred bucks. I mean, again, he it's it's easy enough to get him in here if you want to. Um, you know, I guess my my concern would be how much he's going to do in the passing game and the fact that you know again th- this this St. Louis team is expected to be down there as you know one of the worst teams in the league. They're on the road here; they're seven and a half point underdogs. Last I checked, so it's probably not a great week one spot for Christian Michael. But again, in, in a league where there are so many questions, I, I do think he's you know, probably the best bat at running back
0: this week. And he's finally in a spot where he might just be able to get by on his natural <laughs> abilities. I mean, his, his athleticism and speed have always been the plus with him. The, the downside has been, I don't know, consistency and effort. And when you're playing against guys who you're just physically better than, you know, it has a chance to show through. I think the other factor working in favor of Christian Michael here is that the rest of their offense is, is fairly unproven. Jordan Te'amu is the only starting quarterback in the league that has no regular season game experience in any pro league. So he's got some talent, but we got to see what he can do beyond college where some people would say he disappointed given the receiving talent that he had yeah. at Ole Miss. And then the, the wide receivers Are just kind of an okay group.
1: Yeah, I I would say Jordan Tiamu disappointed, considering you know last year he had AJ Brown, DK Metcalf, Dawson Knox, Demarcus Lodge, who you know was an NFL prospect, and Ole Miss still wasn't you know a dominant team. So Tiamu, I think he's a big guy. He has some athleticism. You know, maybe in this league he he does he does you know have some success, but not a guy I'm interested in week one. And you know the wide receiver core to me seems very muddled. Um, If I'm gonna play a guy in draftings, I'd probably go down play the cheapest guy who I think is going to get some playing time, Ladamian in Washington. He's just 3,700 bucks. Um, he's a 6'4", 216-pounder, 4'4 speed, averaged 17.4 yards per catch in college, um, played at Missouri. So if I'm going to dabble, and again, this is probably an offense I'm going to stay away from beyond Christian Michael, but I think Washington's the wide receiver I'd take a shot on if I'm going to play someone from this team.
0: Yep, I totally agree with those reasons for the Damian Washington. One injury to watch, tight end Cole Hunt has a hamstring that limited him Wednesday, so we'll see. I think that makes it even easier to prefer West Saxton if you yep. are playing in a spot where you're playing a tight end or if you're playing a showdown or something. Most of the places that I've seen seem to assume that Cole Hunt is going to be the top tight end for this team. Mm-hmm. I think even if that's the case, there's a chance that this is the most tight end-friendly spot in the league considering the coaches. It should be run heavy, so they should want to have two tight ends on the field plenty. We have a tight end as the head coach, but more so when you contr- when you uh, compare Cole Hunt and West Saxton, Saxton is faster. He caught 71 more passes in college. He averaged 2.0 more yards per catch, granted at a lower competition level, but it was FCS compared with Rice and TCU, so not a not a huge drop. He caught 17 balls in the AAF last spring compared with 2 for Cole Hunt. The Battlehawks drafted Saxton higher, yet Saxton's opening as a $3,000 uh, salary guy on DraftKings. Hunt is at 4900 bucks.
1: Yeah, I think if Cole Hunt's out for this game, I think I'd consider Saxton at 3000 If Hunt's in there, I'd probably avoid it just without knowing how the snaps are going to be divvied
0: makes sense. Otherwise in the receiving core there's also Keith Mumphrey who played for the Texans, Demorne Pearson L who was a kick who was a return man and decent wide receiver in college, but as you said I would lean toward Ladamian Washington among the group.
1: Yeah, again I really
0: have no idea how
1: this wide receiver's core is going to shake out, so again I'd try to avoid it, but Washington at the price tag is the guy I'd lean towards.
0: The Dallas Renegades might not be with their top quarterback for this first game. QB Landry Jones, though, is limited Wednesday, and knee injuries had him out for a while. It sounds like he might play. He'll be one that you have to keep an eye on if you are considering putting him in your lineup. He said previously there was a chance for him to play in week one, and that the worst case, quote unquote, had him returning for week two. So either way, he's close. The other injury for them is wide receiver Jazz Ferguson, who has a hand issue and did not practice Wednesday.
1: Yeah. And Ferguson was a guy I think we were both excited about, you know, big athletic guy flashed a bit this summer with the Seahawks, but um, you know, he he's not even listed with the first team offense on their initial depth chart. I'm assuming that's because of the injury. And once he's healthy, he will get in there. But I think for week one, Ferguson is a guy to avoid.
0: Yeah. I'll be curious to see if that is because of the injury or if it's just because of how things are shaking out. Jeff Bidette does, Easily become the number one wide receiver for at least week one. And I would consider him whether it's Landry Jones or Phillip Nelson at quarterback. Badette is 5'11", 182, 4'39", speed in the 40, 108 college catches. Spent one year at Oklahoma, three at Kentucky, 16.5 yards per catch overall. Undrafted for the NFL, but was Dallas's top pick in the skill position draft for the XFL. Also expected to return punts here. We mentioned earlier that they want to encourage returns to happen. So I think that, you know, could be another slight mark in his favor. Badette is fifth in wide receiver price at 8,800 bucks, but given his situation and his speed, he might be one of those guys that I'd pay up for.
1: Yeah, I was going to say, I mean, he, I think he's one of the, if not the cheapest wide receiver who, you know, we can, I, I guess with some confidence say, is his team's number one wide receiver. And with that big play upside, I think, but that's kind of like the the Deshaun Jackson of the, of the XFL. I think he's someone
0: you probably want exposure to in tournaments. Uh, Freddie Martino is worth mentioning too. He was also undrafted in the NFL, but he spent a year with Atlanta, spent three years with Tampa Bay, just 13 total catches, but he caught 296 balls. In college, thirty-seven hundred sixty-six yards, twenty-six touchdowns, four-four-nine speed for him. So another speedy wide receiver for this lineup. And in week one, he has a DraftKings salary of just three thousand dollars. He's nine hundred cheaper even than Flynn Nagel in this offense.
1: Yep, and Martino is listed as the number two wide receiver on the depth chart. So I think he's definitely in play at three thousand bucks. This is a passing game. I want to invest in even if Landry Jones is out. So I think Martino is an option. I wanted to mention tight end Donald Parham, who I think is one of the tight ends worth considering, even in a flex spot potentially. Just $2,600. He's 6'8, 240 pounds, has 4'7 speed, caught 180 passes in his college career at Stetson. So, you know, not the biggest competition there, but, you know, was a pass catching tight end there. And I was, you know, reading some stuff. On this Dallas team. And it does sound like Parham was a pretty big part of the passing game in training camp and in some of their scrimmages.
0: Yeah, he was one of the other depth chart surprises, though, when Dallas released its depth chart. He's second behind Sean Price. Oh, I missed uh, that. Right in. So, I mean, We'll see how much that means. It might yep. mean nothing. It might be significant. One of those One of those reasons that we don't want to overinvest in anybody this week, because again, we're all still guessing to some degree. So there's certainly upside to him though. The reason that we are interested at all really in these guys that we don't otherwise know a whole lot about is because the offensive coordinator is Hal Momi, who has been a coordinator and head coach for a long time, almost exclusively in college, uh, past happy even among past happy people he would be smiling even more broadly his his history is basically 2 to 1 in favor of throwing the ball versus running the ball so even if we don't get Landry Jones in this game i think Philip Nelson at quarterback is worth considering he had just one full starting season in college at east carolina was a backup in the cfl was a backup in the aaf before mm-hmm. injuries got him in there didn't run much at east carolina but he's timed sub 4 or 5 in the 40s so there's some rushing upside he did run for 81 yards on 16 carries in the AAF last spring, and did more as a runner at Minnesota before landing at East Carolina. Eighth in QB price for the XFL, just 900 bucks behind Landry Jones, but I think he's worth considering for this weekend.
1: Definitely worth considering. You know, he's right there for me with PJ Walker. You know, who is 500 bucks cheaper as you know the two cheap quarterbacks to consider.
0: And I think the fact that Jeff Bidette looks like a fairly easy stack with Philip Nelson makes it. Even more attractive to get some exposure to that. Yep, definitely. Anything else from that team before? We, oh, I, we got to talk running about back. former Panthers running back Cameron Artis Payne.
1: We we definitely do. Um, I think he, especially at his price, six thousand eight hundred bucks on DraftKings. I, I think he's pretty clearly the lead guy here. You know, was was mediocre with the Panthers um in his few seasons there, four point two yards per carry. But he did have a sixteen hundred yard. Uh, rushing season in his final year at Auburn. Um, you know he has decent size at 510, 212 pounds. he's a 70th percentile spark guy. so yeah another guy who you know was was just okay in the NFL but could definitely be one of the better running backs in the XFL.
0: Yeah, he's fifth in running back price on DK, but at 6800 bucks, he's $1,600 cheaper than Michael. He's 1100 cheaper than Jarrell Presley. He's 700 cheaper than Elijah Hood. I yeah. think, like you said, he has a good chance to be the workhorse here, not only as a runner, but also as a receiver. Did not catch a lot of balls at Auburn, but didn't spend a long time as their starter either. So I think he has pass-catching upside beyond what he has been allowed to show so far he looked pretty good as a receiver in his limited college tape coming into the league and there's just not much behind him on the depth chart Lance Dunbar is the name that people know but Lance Dunbar is old he is not second on the depth chart and he's got a lot of lower body injuries behind him I would not be surprised if we really don't see much from Lance Dunbar here yeah he wasn't even listed on that depth chart at all right yeah it was only too deep but yeah he's not there
1: yeah, which, yeah, so I don't, know if, yeah, I don't know if something happened with him, but he, he was someone I was interested in just because he did flash a bit in Dallas, um, but obviously not in play for Week
0: 1. Mm-hmm. I agree. That's going to do it for this first-ever XFL podcast. Head over to DraftSharks.com, read our eight free team previews so that you're ready for whatever XFL fantasy format you're playing or are allowed to play this weekend. If you live outside New York, Here's hoping you win some DFS money. Share it with us so that we can at least win vicariously through you. You can also find us on Twitter. We are at DraftSharks. Jared is at SmolaDS. I am at ShaufDS. That's S-C-H-A-U-F. For Jared Smola and the rest of the DraftSharks crew, I'm Matt Schauf. saying thanks so much for swimming with us.